Come now to the Word. One, one thing I'll mention, though, that uh, missed out. I am, we do cover your prayers as we head to Denver for our General Assembly this week. And it's Reuben and I, but it's also Ron Benjelink, our elder, uh, representing the, the, our congregation as well. So you can be praying for all of us. We are in the midst of a series on key, key uh, scriptures to understand the church, understand what it is we're about, who we are, what we do, and, and why we do it. And so we're going to be taking a look at a, at a key scripture that is one of the foundational scriptures for understanding all of it. Uh, it doesn't even talk about the church, but it gives us an understanding of the whole of it. And it is in Matthew chapter 16, and I'm going to be reading verses 13 through 18. Listen now to the Word of God. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray. God, guide us as we consider your word. Guide my, my words, guide all of our hearts and minds as we stand before and seek to understand and live your word. Guide us now, I pray, in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of person who's always asking myself an impossible question of why do people do the things they do? And even the impossible question of asking myself, why, why do I do the things I do? So let's, let's just start with church. Why do you get yourself up on a, on a, early on a Sunday morning and, and dress ourselves up? And why do we get together with this group of people that many of whom uh, I wouldn't otherwise get together with or spend time with? When, when else do I go to hear a lecture, or really, when do I go to sing songs with other people? And, and, and as I was thinking of that, I thought of a story that uh, our dear Heather, who's part of our lives, told us. She lives in L.A. and, and is in the movie industry, and, and in L.A. there's lots of screenings of special showings of movies. And she and a group of friends gathered one time to go see a special screening of The Sound of Music on the big screen in a packed theater, and it was a sing-along. And she went with a group of friends, and one of them, the guy who sat next to her at the time, said, you know, I've never been to a sing-along. I mean, who goes to 
go somewhere to sing with other people. And, uh, and he said, what do I do? And she says, well, the words come up on the screen and you sing. I mean, it's the sound of music. Everyone knows the songs. And so sure enough, they sit down and the lights go dark and, and, and the screen starts to brighten. There it is on the screen. And he bursts out in full voice, Julie Andrews. <laughs> it, it was the credits. Uh, he didn't know you weren't supposed to sing the credits. But here we are, get together and, and come, and I hope you bur- blurt out as loud as that guy uh, every, what you see on the screen here, the songs that we get to sing together. We sing songs together. On the other hand, people in the world, I think, I think they drive by all these churches and wonder, now, why, why did people go to all the expense and energy to build these buildings? And, and why do we go to the expense and energy to, to maintain them? As Christians, why do we concern ourselves with talking to people about religion and God and, and try to reach out to our neighborhood with what we do in here when and so often they just don't seem to care about it? Why do we do this? Why are we here? Ultimately, about church, there are as many motives for being here as there are people. And for all the things that we do and all the energy we put into things, there's so many different reasons. Most of secular, secular America is either utterly puzzled while, why people wake up and get ready and, and go to church on a nice, quiet Sunday morning, or many people believe church has as its core some self-righteous, some self-congratulatory purpose for us so that we can feel good about ourselves. Or one can take a sociological look at the phenomena of church and of religion, say it's, you know, talk about man's search for meaning or for belonging or for structure and security in our lives. And maybe you can even see our need for God. We need to look at ourselves and be honest about the reasons we're here. For some, it's because you've always been here. Maybe, maybe for generations, and there's just a, a momentum to our coming that's, that's never questioned. For others, it's so that we wouldn't be lonely. Our, our friends are here. This is our community, our family. Some, some it's because they like the music. They, there's a lot to like, even with singing, even singing with it. Sometimes we do just feel good about ourselves because we come. Finally, and most importantly, here it is. We come because the promises of God are our only and most wonderful hope. And we need help in remaining in them. I want to say two things about motives. The world is very sensitive about motives and purposes these days. And for the most part, that's a good thing. We've needed to learn to be discerning of motives in our world, the whole world has. 
because we have so much coming at us all the time, asking something from us. We're constantly objects of marketing. It's why Facebook and social media companies are always getting in trouble because they, are, they give out personal information about us to marketers so that they can have even more influence on us in their purpose of getting something from us. It is worth knowing that we, as a church, are likely, to be, are likely going to be perceived as wanting something from people for our own gain. Everyone is skeptical of everyone's motives. Even when we just asked people's thoughts about God or asked them to come to church, we need to be aware and we need to be aware of our own motives. Because as sensitive as people have become about others' motives, we're not always sensitive as people of our own motives. The second thing I want to say, Socrates at his trial where he was condemned said famously, the unexamined life is not worth living. Why are we doing this? Why are we trying, what are we trying to achieve or accomplish? For what purpose? In, in some regards, this is the, the ultimate purpose of our vision team that is working right now, to consider, to consider who it is we are trying to reach and disciple with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we can consider our motives and our effectiveness of everything we do in that regard. That's what it means to have and to operate in a vision. A number of years ago in New York City, my daughter Anne and I went to MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in New York, where she lives now. And I was already older than when I, I had looked at modern art in my youth. I'd gone on a Europe semester and we went to a number of museums around, around Europe and particularly in Paris, where there's a lot of modern art. And when I was young, I looked at that art and I decided whether I liked it or not, purely based on my own aesthetic sensibilities. That's all I had to, to understand it with. This time, we walked through the flow of art in the MoMA from the 1880s through the 20th century. And I, and, and, and I could see the change in how people perceived life and how they perceived the world through that hundred years plus. And whether I liked it or not, the art had meaning and purpose in its motives and in its expression and in its message. And then I could consider how it achieved those purposes. And only then I would consider whether I agreed with its purpose. This is based on our assumption that our fundamental purposes, our motives, our reasons, they, they come through our actions. They come through our art and expressions, whether we're conscious of them or not. This is based on the assumption, and you have that assumption, and then people see what we are about in our actions and in our expressions. They can see us. And this is just as true 
as, as a church. Our motivations, they're going to come through our actions. They're going to come through what it is we do, just as they do in art. We need to always be examining our motives. Confess that which is not of God and let it go. Own all of it and, and continually be refined and sanctified by the Spirit of God. But always, always lean in to the central motive of the gospel so that it would shine through all that we would do. It's never until all that's left is worship face to face with God. It's never going to be our only motive. But I pray it can be our primary motive. The central purpose of life and the church is to have faith in and love for the Lord God through trusting in his promises and in his person. Here's the, the, the Christian's entry point into trusting God's promises. It's in, it's in Peter's answer to Jesus' question of him. Who do you say I am? Who is this man, Jesus? There's a lot of answers to that. Disciples identified the answers of some of the people around them. He's a prophet like Jeremiah or Elijah or even John the Baptist. We can easily add to that list with more people from history, add to that list the prophets or, or influential men like, like Muhammad or Buddha or Gandhi or Martin Luther King. This is a good man that taught love and kindness. He's inspired generations to love and good deeds. Jesus is the greatest example of, of what it means to be a, a human being. On the other hand, most of our secular world would say that even if he did exist, he's, he's simply just not that relevant to our lives. Just a legend that grew from people's innate need for heroes. Nowadays, we have Marvel comics. And, he, and he's no better, really, than all those other men and women in history. But I love, then, how Jesus asks the question of Peter and the disciples directly, and of each of us, really. What about you? Who do you say I am? The entire Old Testament leads to this moment of Jesus asking Peter the question. The entire book of Matthew leads to it with all the authority with which Jesus has taught. He has done miraculous healings. He has power over evil spirits and the weather and the sea. It all points to this question and Peter's answer, an answer revealed by God. You are the Christ. Christ is just the, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
What those titles mean is that Jesus is the central figure in the fulfillment of the promises of God for Israel and all of humanity and all of creation. When Anne and I were at MoMA, at that, at that museum, the culmination of where the 20th century art led was to a piece at the end of the galleries called simply abstract, abstract painting by a man named, by a Buffalonian named Ad, Ad Reinhardt. And at first glance, it, it just simply looked like a, a canvas painted completely black. Any re reproductions of it, that's just what it, it's just a black, black canvas. On closer examination, it had sections with subtly different hues of matte black. Guided by the description of the museum, here's the, me the meaning that I caught of this painting. That this painting makes no reference to anything else but itself. It's not about anything else. It's just itself. Reinhardt said, I don't understand in a painting the love of anything except the love of the painting itself. And this black canvas is not meant to point to anything or mean anything other than to just, just be appreciated for itself. Now, I, I appreciate the expression of this philosophy. It's, it's philosophy pictured, captured in, in art hanging on a wall in a museum. And in, in that sense, it's a powerful expression of that of that understanding of the world, the understanding of this age that believes that there's nothing else. This is all there is. There's nothing, there's nothing to point to. It's just a black canvas with subtle variations of black. But it's that, that's not a philosophy I share. Everything that happened from the moment of creation points to this confession of Peter's. It's not just the Bible that points to, to Jesus. Everything either points to the need for Jesus and his work of redemption, or it reflects the glory of the Son. It all points to who he was and to who he is and to his redemption and salvation, and glory. And still today, our lives are either, in some regards, a big black canvas with subtly different hues of matte black making the statement, this is all there is, I'm all there is, or my life and my church has their greatest purpose to be a canvas, busy with things that all point, all reflect the answer to Jesus' question to Peter. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus is the fulfillment of, of the promises of God to Abraham and all the nation, that all the nations would be blessed. 
to the, he's the fulfillment of the promise to David of one who would reign forever as, a, as king in David's line, reign in holiness and justice, making everything right. The promise even in Eden that there is redemption from the fall. The promise of his resurrection that death is not the end, but life prevails, that we now live with unquenchable hope. Now, there are a million different reasons to do anything, including to have a church. Whichever reasons you do it for, your motivations, they're going to shine forth in the doing, in the canvas which, which paints your life, which paints our church. Peter's confession, which we share, is the reason we, we paint a canvas of worship every Sunday to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, our Lord. It's why we crack our Bibles open and, and pry open our hearts as we, broken as they may be, as we pray. It's why we go out of our way to care for each other. Uh, it was why I flew down to Los Angeles this week to support my niece and, and to celebrate with my whole family. It's why we do everything. Why we pour love and grace on our neighbors, including those with whom we may not agree. Or we may, not even, we may even go so far as to call them enemies, but we actively love and care for them. But because we know this one who, while we were enemies, he died for us. I want everything I do to point to this truth of all truths. And I want our church built on this truth. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the fulfillment of all God's promises and all of our hopes that truth is the foundation. It is the fundamental motivation for all that we do for those who believe. As Paul puts it in Romans, all those who say with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray. Lord, um, questioning motivations of anyone else, even of ourselves, is like opening a bottomless pit. We are so complex and sometimes so confused. But Lord, Help us to keep our eyes on you, to see Jesus, to hear him ask us the question, and know that our answer, too, is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and all the motivations come into line. Lord, may our lives reflect that you are Lord.
reflect your glory, reflect your love and salvation, all reflecting your Son as we keep our eyes on Him. For we love you, Lord. And we thank you for coming to us, showing yourself to us, showing us your glory, even in, and especially in the cross and dying for us and in the joy of you rising from the dead, defeating death, and securing all our hopes and dreams and in your promises. Lord, thank you. May we live for you in everything. Thank you for your word. Guide us now, I pray, in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.